The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, coming to you on Saturday, April 18th, less than a week prior to the upcoming 2020 NFL Draft. This is really a, a special edition of the show. It's a weekend edition prior to the draft couple of of things for you today. First, we're going to play for you some clips from Dave Gettleman's Friday conference call, his pre-draft conference call. We played for you some clips earlier in the week uh, of a a conference call in which uh, Dave Gettleman spoke about free agency and about some of the uh, organizational changes, about the structural changes, the way the Giants have had to do business you know, re- because of the, the COVID-19 shutdown of uh, all of the NFL offices. Uh, so this was Gettleman's second availability of the week, his second conference called this one, specifically related to uh, the Giants and the NFL draft, which is, uh, as we said, which is coming up in a few days. A few takeaways that I wanted to mention, you know, before we play those clips First and foremost, you know, Gettleman said that he would very seriously entertain the idea of trading down from number four. We know that's something that Dave Gettleman in seven drafts has never done. This is a uh, really a good situation for the Giants, a good spot for the Giants. If someone wants to come up and get that number four pick, obviously with four offensive tackles, who are pretty equally graded. Uh, you know, there's a, a wide variety of opinion as to who's number one and who's number four. So you know, any pretty much any of those offensive tackles would be an upgrade for the Giants over what they currently have on their offensive line. So, you know, the Giants are in a good spot there if someone does want to move up, you know, Miami or the LA Chargers possibly the Carolina Panthers. Personally, that's about as far as I see the Giants moving down. Miami has the fifth pick. Chargers have the sixth. Panthers have the seventh pick. I I, I doubt that uh, Dave Gettleman, who has said before that he really doesn't like to trade too far for the simple reason that, that you, you take yourself out of the mix for players that you might want. So, 
But number seven, Carolina is probably about as far as I think that the Giants would go. But I do believe that Gettleman is serious about possibly moving that pick and picking up a uh, an additional day two draft pick. You know, something that he can use to to continue to build out the uh, the roster as the Giants try to uh, try to improve. You know, after winning just nine games the past two seasons. Another thing that that uh, I have been saying consistently, and I said earlier in the week after after his uh, Monday conference call, I'm more and more convinced all the time that the Giants are going to go offensive tackle with their first pick, whether that's at number four, whether it's a little bit lower down. As long as one of those four guys is available. I think the Giants are going to do that rather than take uh, Clemson linebacker uh, Isaiah Simmons. You know, Gettleman talked on Friday about the necessity of opening holes for Saquon Barkley, about keeping Daniel Jones upright, about the idea that he hasn't yet been able to uh, to completely finish rebuilding this offensive line, something that he walked in the door at the end of the 2017 season, saying that he absolutely needed to do. And uh, he said he would just keep building it, that they would keep throwing assets at it. And he was asked if there was pressure. And he said maybe it is a little bit of a pressure point to, to fix this offensive line. So I fully expect that the Giants will go offensive tackle with their first overall pick, whether that's going to be Tristan Wirfs of Iowa, Jedrick Wills of Alabama, Mackay Becton of Louisville. I couldn't really tell you at this point. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, highly respected draft analyst, well-connected, said the other day during a conference call that he is becoming more and more convinced that the pick will be Jedrick Wills of Alabama, which makes a lot of sense when you think about the... uh, the Giants' connections to Alabama. Joe Judge worked for Nick Saban for several years. Burton Burns, who is now the Giants' running backs coach, was at Alabama for several years, was even was there even the last couple of years, was hired away from Alabama. Several Giants coaches, you know, have connections to Nick Saban. So you you would expect that uh, you know judge said the other day that he'll be relying on those college connections or he has been for information on players on guys that he trusts so and gettleman talked about that on friday about how helpful that's been he talked about burns so you would have to think that if the giants are you know in a coin flip you know between two of the the offensive tackles, let's say Tristan Wirfs and and Jedrick Wills. If they're in a coin flip, perhaps the the information, the insight, their trust in whatever information they're getting from Nick Saban and and the staff at Alabama about Jedrick Wills, you know, in a positive or a negative manner, might be the determining factor as to what the Giants do there. That would certainly not uh, not be a surprise at all in the, in the current environment where the Giants can't you know hold pro day or can't go to pro days where they can't hold visits at the facility where they can't meet these players you know face to face 
So uh, we'll see how that turns out. But as I said, I, I remain pretty much convinced that the Giants will go offensive tackle with their first overall pick. Um, just a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about. You know, I did ask Dave on Friday about the fact that this draft is so much different. There's so much less contact with players. You know, although the Giants are able to FaceTime, they're able to to do some of those things remotely, but they can't work these guys out. They can't look them in the eye. They can't bring them into the facility. They can't go to pro days and see them move around on the field. So it's a little bit different. I asked Dave if this draft had kind of an old school feel to it because of that. And he agreed that it did. He he basically said it feels a little bit like the 1970s, you know, which is back maybe when he first started out in the business when when NFL teams drafted players without any real contact with them, perhaps only with a scouting report, maybe with some information, you know, from the uh from the college coaches. I'm not sure how much film was available for them to watch back at that time. You know, probably some from the colleges, maybe whatever they saw on television, but they were drafting with a lot less information. So we'll see if that plays into the uh plays into the Giants' hands here. We'll see if they're if that helps them, you know, with a veteran guy like Gettleman who's who cut his teeth in the scouting world, still considers himself a scout, a lot of veteran scouts on the Giants staff. So we'll see if uh, if the old school nature of this draft actually turns out to benefit the New York Giants, you know, when they have to select on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Anyway, Giants fans, let's do this. I have two things for you today. I have the uh, some audio clips from Gettleman's press conference for you. Those will be uh, those were cut up by Joe DeLeon of the Chris and Joe Show. What you'll hear are the clips from Dave with transitions provided by Joe. We thank him for that. After the uh, after the interview with Gettleman, you'll hear an interview that I did with Scott Wright of Draft Countdown as we preview a lot of of what may or may not happen next week in the draft. The NFL draft is now less than a week away, and general manager Dave Gettleman spoke to the media yet again twice in one week. As you might assume, a major storyline for the Giants is the possibility of them trading back with quarterback needy teams wanting to hop up to take to a tag of Iloa of Alabama or Justin Herbert of Oregon puts the Giants in a really good opportunity at four for one of those teams to trade up into that spot. The media, of course, asked questions about the Giants' possibility of trading and also how they might approach it. We're sitting there with the fourth pick of the draft. It's going to happen pretty soon. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make calls. And, and uh, I'm going to, you know, anybody that wants to move up, I'm going to say, listen, we don't have much time. We can't fool around. And uh, I'd like to get the parameters of deals in place, uh, of the deal in place before we get on the clock. Uh, you know, that would be the best thing. We're going to, you know, the NFL is going to have a mock draft on, on Monday. I'm sure you guys are aware of that. And uh, so I'll, that'll be an interesting thing. And, and um, uh, to see how it works. And, and again, it's, it's a matter of, it's really the biggest piece is that we making sure that we, meaning the Giants, are coordinated in how we're going to approach the draft. Yeah, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the trade process. And, uh, you know, we'll have two veteran guys on it. So 
Um, I think we'll be fine. Uh, obviously, as you get, you know, once you hit the third round, you only get five minutes. It's going to be tight um, to try to do that. So, you know, to try to trade back or, or trade up. So we're going to, uh, and I think what's going to happen, what this is going to force everybody to do is, is do deals before they're picked up. So let's say for the sake of discussion, someone calls uh, one team, calls another team and says, I want to trade up and they, you know, they'll make a deal off the clock. And then if, if, if the guy is uh, there for the team that wants to move up, well, then they'll consummate the trade. Uh, but I, so I think a lot of it's going to be done ahead of time, Tom. In war rooms, there's always a possibility for a power struggle between coaches and the general manager as well as the scouting department. Dave Gettleman was asked about who the final decision would come down to if there wasn't an agreement on who to take at a various pick. Gettleman squashed that possibility of him having the final decision, but rather it being a New York Giants decision. Addressing the offensive line is yet again a pressing issue for this Giants roster, and Dave Gettleman spoke a ton about the tackle class and also seeking versatility, not being a major concern when drafting tackles. Versatility certainly doesn't hurt, um, but it's, it's, it's a thick group. Uh, I think I mentioned it on Monday. There's a, there are tackles throughout the draft. Well, you know, a lot of vertical, we call it our vertical. There, there, there's a lot of talent there, and uh, you know, is it uh, is it helpful if a guy's played both? Absolutely. Is it fatal if he's only played once? Certainly not. Um, you know, you, you know, if you, if, if, if you have a tackle need and, and you know need needs value, then you know you you know you work through it, and you just look at you know you just say to yourself, this is a good tackle, whether he's a left or a right, and you take him. This is no different than any other position. If we corner, whether he's a right or left, there's a good line, but whatever, you just take the guy. So to answer your question, versatility is really a plus, but it's 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 not fatal if a guy's not. Well, again, Paul, you know you, you know my you know my theory. Um, it's very very difficult for you know Saquon to run the ball if he doesn't have holes, and it's going to be difficult for Daniel to throw the ball when he's on his back. So we're continuing to we'll continue to build and 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 you know the offensive line, you know it's 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 a, is it a pressure point? I would agree. I'm not going to deny that, but it's it, you know it's it's about getting the right guys. It's about not panicking. Uh, like I've said before, I you know we think that Nick Gates has a has a bright future. Um, as, as an offensive lineman, we you know we like uh, those special bullies done good work for us you know at, at center uh, you know PO is coming back and hopefully he'll be ready to go with uh, you know he'll be okay he'll be recovered from the Achilles by uh, by June so you know we're just going to keep working at it 
Joe and I are of the same uh, mentality that really and truly the offensive line sets the tone for the, for the team. It really does. I think of all the teams that I've been with that have gone to Super Bowls and the offensive lines were the tone setters. You, know, you think of those of the offensive line in 7 and 11 when we beat the Patriots. Okay. Uh, those, those groups set the tone. Isaiah Simmons, outside linebacker from Clemson, has been a reoccurring pick for the Giants in mock drafts as well as speculation on, on who the fourth overall pick might be. The media asked Gettleman about Isaiah Simmons, and he spoke about how there are tons of players that have similar versatility and play different positions every year in college football. Well, what's happening now, Ryan, is there's a lot of college players like that. There's a lot of guys that, that because the college game is so different, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, you know, they, they, if they've got a kid with you, uh, uh, you know, a young man with a unique skill set, they're going to use him in a variety of ways that maybe hasn't been, hasn't happened before. So there's a number of guys that are being used like this, you know, with, you know, and, and a lot of them are, you know, mid-level Defenders, linebackers, you know, you, you've seen that uh, some, you know, they're, they're mixing and matching their defensive linemen as, as not only in, in a three-point, but also, you know, standing up as a two-point. So there's a lot of versatility going on, a lot of different ways that people are using players that is not standard, not what, we, not what I grew up with, that's for sure. Okay, and you're seeing it more. So it's up to us to figure out, you know, how, how that player who's been in what you're saying to me is an unconventional position, it's up to us to figure out how we fit the New York football giant. This year's draft process in 2020 is so far from the typical norm that Dave Gettleman compared what we're going through to what things used to be like back in the late 70s. David Valentine from SB Nation. Aside from the, aside from the technology, aside from the, the fact that you're home, and, you know, dealing with the technology, with all the things that you guys have missed with pro days and all that, is this more of an old school draft in terms of of the way you guys have to prepare for it? And does does your experience and the, the experience of your scouting staff really help in that regard? It's funny, I, I said that, uh, I said that exact thing a couple times, just like back in the, you know, uh, in the late, late 70s when they drafted with, with absolutely no contact with players, you know. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it, it is a little bit old school because you're not getting the personal touch points that we used to have. So it is a little bit old school. And, and I just think that, you know, really and truly at the end of the day, it's really all about what the kid does between the white lines. It's not about running around in your underwear or running a 40 yard dash and doing a stand or doing a vertical, you know, jump or whatever. It's really about putting a lid on and playing ball. So it's, it's, it is a little bit more old school like that. You know, that's not all bad. Giants fans, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. When we come back, I will play for you the interview that I did with Scott Wright of Draft Countdown. 
All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by a good friend of the program. That's Scott Wright of Draft Countdown. And we're as we're only a few days away from the 2000 NFL Draft, and Scott's here to... Uh, to discuss the the various Giants options uh, coming up in a few days. Scott, thank you very much for uh, for spending some time. Uh, it's my pleasure. Good to be back with you. Uh, I always know it's uh, that time of the year the draft's getting close and we end up uh, chatting, so it's uh, it's fun to talk. So so let's do that. I need to ask you. You know, every time I talk to somebody, obviously there's a big focus on the on the offensive tackle position. You know, for the Giants at number four, and I know in your last mock draft you had Mackay Becton at four. I know you have another mock coming out soon, which will be your final mock for for this year. I'm almost dizzy trying to figure out, you know, who thinks you know, what the actual rankings are in terms of of offensive tackles. What's your What's your take at this point? Uh, on the offensive tackles and you know with with less than a week to go before the draft your thoughts on you know if the Giants are sitting there at four who's the guy that they should take I still think you go with the offensive lineman uh I, I think that's the way they will go and I think that's the way they should go and and a good argument could be made for Isaiah Simmons but I mean, both personally and logically, I just think offensive line is the way to go. I'm a believer in building in the trenches. I think you can find, as, as, as talented as Isaiah Simmons is, I think you can find a comparable player to fill that role later on, whether it's Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois round two or, or later on. I mean, you can get linebackers. Uh, to me, it just doesn't make sense to to make number four overall type of investment in Simmons. And and as the draft gets closer, I'm even more dead set that the Giants should take an offensive lineman in the first round because even though there's a lot of good blockers, they're going to go early and often. We might have four in the top 11 overall picks, and I, I think we could have as many as eight in the first round. I mean, that could be a quarter of the first round, just offensive tackles. And, and maybe even throw in Cesar Ruiz, too, from Michigan as another offensive lineman. A third of the first round might be offensive linemen. So um, so I think you have to get that offensive lineman in the first round because even though they have a pick early in the second round, I don't know that what's going to be left there. There will be some interesting options available on day two. But, boy, for the Giants who need that player to come in and be a stud right away, I, I, I want to I make sure I get that addressed uh, uh, right away. And And – the Giants, we've talked about, Ed, over the years about how they have a type, what they're looking for, where they like to build. And I think an offensive lineman certainly fits that much better than a linebacker does. So, uh, you know, all these factors. And one other factor I'll throw into, you know, if if you're Dave Gettleman, who's the general manager, who's very much, I think, on thin ice right now would probably be the nicest way of saying it. it I think there's a couple of factors that lead you towards towards a blocker. Uh, first of all, I mean, if you take Isaiah Simmons there, you're essentially putting your fate into the hands of the coaches because his role and his impact is going to be determined by how the coaches use him. It's kind of a double-edged sword being that versatile uh, because – so. And, and then the other factor too is if you take uh, offensive linemen, you know what you're getting. He's starting day one somewhere along that offensive line. You know you're getting instant impact. 
And that also supports your other two big decisions, which were to draft Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. So uh, every way I look at this, I come away thinking offensive tackle makes the most sense. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I can make an argument for Isaiah Simmons, too. Uh, and, and I'd even throw Derek Brown, the defensive lineman from Auburn, who's the last thing they need. But I think he's very much a Giants Dave Gelman type of player. So that would be the dark horse. But I, I, I keep coming back to offensive line. And to me, it's a quite more a question of, is it Tristan Wirfs or Mackay Becton than it is one of those guys versus Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons. So uh, if the draft were today, my prediction would be Tristan Wirfs, the office tackle from Iowa. But it wouldn't shock me if they went with Mackay Becton either. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to go back to something that you said uh, there a minute ago. You said as many as eight offensive tackles in your mind could go in the first round. Obviously, you've got Wirfs, Becton, Wills, Andrew Thomas. I would I would think you're including Josh Jones of Houston in there. Um, Austin Jackson of USC. Maybe Ezra Cleveland of, of Boise State. Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking here. The uh, who who else would there be? The would it be Lucas Nyang of uh, of uh, TCU? Would be the other one. You've got the first seven. Uh, actually, Lucas Niang from TCU, who I personally love, I think he's going to be available on day three because of the medicals, unfortunately. I think he's a top 50 player in this draft, and if he's healthy, you have a plug-and-play day one starter at right tackle, but I think he's going to slide, unfortunately. Uh, actually, the eighth one I have in the first round possibility uh, is Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, who came out as a redshirt sophomore. He's 6'6", 350. Uh, if he got by, if he had gone back for another year, he might have been a top ten, top twenty overall pick. There's some who think he's got higher upside than Andrew Thomas, his teammate. So Isaiah Wilson, especially because you look at some of the teams late in first round who could be in the market for a blocker, whether it's the Seattle Seahawks, Tennessee Titans, he'd be a perfect fit for both of those teams. He's a big, strong, powerful guy, and his best football is still ahead of him. So uh, Isaiah Wilson was the eighth one, and and you mentioned Ezra Cleveland from Boise State as a maybe. At this point, I don't think it's a question if he's going to the first round, but how early? Uh, I mean, we're always looking for surprises in the draft. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was the 10th overall pick to the Cleveland Browns. They really wow. like him. I think he'd be more of a target if they traded down out of 10. But I will not be – at this point, I'm thinking Ezra Simmons has a really good shot to be a top 20 overall pick. So one of the hottest names in the draft right now, and, and I think he's going in the first and, and maybe a lot earlier than people expect. Wow. You know, the funny part about that is, and, you know, I've been making the case similar to what you've been saying that for me, especially with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley having been their last two big investments, that the Giants' primary responsibility in this draft is to make sure that they put an offensive line in front of those guys, you know, who can, who can, uh, who can hold up. You know, I, they didn't really do that the final few years of, of of Eli Manning's career. I think it's 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 incumbent upon them to do that. And, and the funny part about Ezra Cleveland is, I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, they can get Ezra Cleveland at thirty six if they don't get a guy at four. And, and obviously, you know, I've said don't bet on it. Yeah, you can't guarantee anything. And, and it sounds like you're kind of hearing the the same thing that 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 even that second tier of offensive linemen is going to be gone by 36. 
yeah, they very well could be. And not necessarily. There's different scenarios where there still is one of these good blockers available at 36, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, maybe Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, someone like that. But then I think there's a drop off. And I, th- I, and that's not to say there aren't some talented guys in that next tier, too. I mean, Prince Tega Winago from Auburn is as physically talented as just about any blocker in this draft. But a uh, little raw around the edges and a little bit of a project, which is why he's going to be uh, a second or third rounder, even though you can make an argument he has first round talent. Uh, Matt Pert from UConn, uh, I think, is re- going to be a really intriguing blocker on day two. Uh, we mentioned Niang, uh, Ben Barch, uh, one of the top small school prospects in this class from uh, my neck of the woods here at St. John's University in Minnesota. Really intrigued by him. I think he could be a day two pick. And then a really wild card in this, too, is Sadiq Charles from LSU. Who another guy like Niang, you could make an argument he's a top 50 talent, but based on medicals and some off-the-field stuff, he could be available early on day three. So there's some good blockers. It's not like if you don't take a blocker at number four, you're not going to get one. But they all have question marks, too. There, there's some talented guys with some upside, but they have question marks. So, um, But I would going into the draft, the way things stand right now, I would not bet the farm or bank on being able to get uh, one of those that top tier or even the, the second tier in round two. And I know the last time you and I talked a couple of months ago, uh, you had talked about Derek Brown being a Dave Gettleman type pick. And I saw Tony Pauline, you know, draft analyst, uh, pretty well respected, well connected, you know, knows his stuff. He's been saying lately that he keeps hearing that Derek Brown is, is, still in play for the Giants at number four. And, and as much as I, I see the talent, I see the fact that it, that Derek Brown would be a, a Gettleman-esque type of player. I just don't think you can do that when you're the New York Giants and, and, and defensive line happens to already be you know, a position that's pretty solid, you know, when you can look around the roster and, and, and you see holes all over the place. And what they have invested, uh, not only in Dexter Lawrence from last year, Leonard Williams. I mean, it, it, it would be really difficult to justify Derek Brown in the first round for the Giants. Not impossible. Uh, I could probably uh, weave you an argument, but it would be tough. Uh, but but as I say, you know, he just he fits the profile uh, in so many ways. And, and he's a really good player. I mean, if the Giants hadn't taken Dexter Lawrence in the first round last year, this would be a far more interesting conversation we're having about what direction they might they might go at number four overall. And the other thing, too, when you talk about Derek Brown and even some of these offensive linemen, you know, trading down. Is there a deal to be made there? Does somebody want to come up uh, and how far down can you move and still feel good about getting one of those top? four offensive tackles or maybe they like somebody from the next group maybe they love Ezra Cleveland or or Josh Jones who might be you know available in the team so depending on how far they want to drop down I think they can move a little bit and still get one of those blockers but uh I as I said I don't think it's going to be Derek Brown but just you know if, if you're you're talking about wild card dark horse things that, that could surprise everybody on draft day I wouldn't completely rule that out but um, but I, I really think I wonder I question if there's a deal to be made there for the Giants because they can definitely get one of those blockers um, later depending on how far they want to move down and uh, and I, I think there's could be a market for the pick especially if the Detroit Lions can't get a deal done at number three and somebody wants to come up ahead of the Dolphins for a quarterback. So let's let's talk about that scenario a little bit, Scott. I was uh, I I listened to Gil Brandt and Mark Dominic on a Sirius XM NFL 
conference call the other day about the draft, and both Brandt and Dominic said that they don't think that the Dolphins or the Chargers will actually move for a quarterback. Um, Dominic, in particular, I think, you know, was was adamant that Herbert's not a guy that you move up for, and Brandt you know, seemed very, very hesitant about Tua as far as his long-term durability. So I'm curious what you think about you know, about somebody moving up for those two guys, and, and if let's say one of let's say neither of those teams wants to move for a quarterback. Is there another sweet spot in your mind for the Giants to to make a deal? I think it's more circumstances and good strategy than teams be, not being willing to pay for these quarterbacks. I think if you're the Dolphins and Chargers sitting there at five and six, we we know Burrow's going one to the Bengals. We know Chase Young is going to to Washington. So then three Detroit for the Giants. Neither of those teams are taking a quarterback. You don't have to worry about either of them taking a quarterback. The only thing you have to worry about is somebody leaping ahead of you and taking a quarterback. Uh, but if the Dolphins and Chargers don't do it, who are the other options? Who in the draft could maybe make a bold move up that high? I mean, you've heard I've heard chatter about maybe the Raiders packaging their two first-round picks to move into the top five. But do the Lions and Giants, do they want to move out of the top ten altogether? I mean, I think the, if the, the, the Dolphins and Chargers are sitting there saying, we want one of these quarterbacks, but why give up stuff we don't have to? We can just stand pat, and these guys are going to fall to us, barring something unforeseen. And I'm sure they're monitor- monitoring it, and they want to make sure nobody does leap ahead of them. They've probably been on the phone with the Lions and Giants and said, hey, give us you know, last last chance you know, to top the offer if you get one. But uh, I think the way things stand, the Lions and Giants, even if there is a deal to be made, they're probably not going to get a, a king's ransom of multiple first-round picks and and, and all these goodies. So I think for the top five, top five to six overall picks, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there isn't any movement there. I think where there could be a little movement on draft day is maybe the back end of the top 10 and the early teens as teams kind of jockey to get one of these blockers that we've been talking about or or maybe to get a specific wide receiver because that's the run on wide, where the run on wide receiver is supposed to start. Uh, maybe somebody wants to come up and get C.J. Henderson, the cornerback from Florida, who's the clear-cut number two corner in this draft. And there's a lot of teams in that 9 to uh, 20 range who are in the market for a cover guy. So I think he's going to be somebody that teams might want to move up for. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's pretty quiet in that top five to six overall. And and if I'm the Dolphins and Chargers, I think they're doing the right thing by just kind of uh, keeping their powder dry, standing pat. And if, if things change, they certainly have the ammunition and can, can consider moving up. But as things stand, I don't think they need to. Oh, man, keeping their powder dry. That's that's like a, something that Dave Gettleman <laughs> would say. That Gettleman always says, I think the phrase that, that Gettleman uses is, is hold our water. Right. Yeah. So well, it's basically that's basically it. And and knowing Gettleman, he's going to fall in love with one of these guys anyways, and he's not going to want to trade down and, and chance losing them anyways. Right. And and that's the thing. Let's let's say the Raiders did call up and say, hey, we'll give you 12 and 19 for number four overall. I mean, that's pretty interesting. I'm considering if I'm the Giants, but you got to go in. If you make that deal, you have to say, OK, at 12, I can't plan on getting one of those top four offensive tackles. Right. That's it's funny because 12 and 19 is is a deal that, you know, for number four is one that I keep looking at and I keep looking at and I keep thinking, 
you know, there's a possibility that you could get one of the top offensive tackles there at, you know, at 12. But even if, even if you don't, even if you don't, maybe you get, you know, maybe you get Henry Ruggs and you get Ezra Cleveland at 19 or something like that. I don't, you know, I don't know how that, I don't know exactly how it'll fall, but even if, even if you lose out on those top four, to me, that's really tempting. Yeah, and, and of course the Raiders have to be willing to uh, offer that and pay that price, which they may not be. But yeah, I mean that would be really intriguing. It almost feels like a better fit for the Giants to have those two bid first rounders in terms of of this class and their needs, and especially if they could still and like you like we talked about there. I would say there's a seventy five percent chance one of those offensive tackles is still there at number 12 overall, one of those top four guys. I mean, it would have to be a pretty specific scenario to get all four of them off the board in the top 11 overall. So it's not like there's a, a it's an unreasonable chance that one could be there, but but there's a legitimate chance one might not be as well. So you have to feel pretty good about whoever your number five is, whatever that drop-off is, is kind of a, a plan B because it, it, there is a chance it could happen, but, but you're right. I mean, based on their needs and the value, I think if the Raiders offer 12 and 19 for four, I think Gettleman probably should listen. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about round two, maybe, um, you know, and about, uh, we talked a little bit about Isaiah Simmons and, and maybe finding, you know, guys later on who could be versatile defenders, guys who could be impact defensive players and I know a guy that that I know the Giants have been interested in that Giants fans have been interested in that people kind of wonder if he's going to be there at 36 when the Giants pick is is Zach Bond and you know my question for you is the whole thing that came out the other day about his uh his testing positive you know at at the combine and all of that um is that going to impact, you know, I, I think it was positive for a diluted sample. I mean, is that going to impact his draft stock in your mind at all? And is he a guy who who could or should be there for the Giants at 36? Yeah, I, I don't think the diluted sample uh, test at the starting combine is going to impact him much for a couple of reasons. One, to the best of my knowledge, there's no track record of this failed test or anything going back in college and teams will have done their due diligence so they'll know that um and secondly it's not going to be much of a factor going forward because the the changes in the collective bargaining agreement so um i think ultimately it's gonna be much ado about nothing i don't and i don't i I don't think he's gonna be a first round pick but there's a chance he could be i mean there's some teams late in the first round uh whether it be the patriots i think could be a fit the baltimore ravens could be a fit that could pull the trigger on him late round one but i think he's gonna be more of a round two guy He's kind of in the 25 to 50 range. Uh, and the concern with him is that lack of ideal length because he kind of plays and produces like an edge player, but uh, just doesn't have, he's only six, two and a half, uh, 238 pounds and doesn't have uh, the long arms and the great wingspan you look for. So, um, so kind of a, a, a little bit of a, an outlier, honestly, because um, he, he kind of, it's kind of a, a one package in a, in a different form. So, uh, ultimately, Zach Bond, though, has a lot of fans. I mean, the film is really impressive. He's one of those guys that you, you, you might just throw out that that lack of ideal arm length because the film is so impressive. So if he's there, I think he's definitely going to be an option early round two. And and 
and, and that's a position where I think you could find some intriguing options too. Uh, not only Zach Bond, but Terrell Lewis from Alabama, uh, another guy who on paper, he looks like a first round pick. Uh, I, I think he's going to be available in round two because of some concerns about durability, but boy, if he can stay healthy, you're getting probably a top half of the first round type of talent. Uh, Julian Acquire from Notre Dame, who was, didn't have a great senior season and then got hurt. So he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I think, uh, as the draft gets closer here, he's starting to garner a little bit more buzz because he offers so much juice off the edge as a pass rusher. Uh, he's going to be an option on day two. Curtis Weaver from Boise State. So, uh, And then Josh Uche, too, from Michigan, who I'm not quite as high on as some people, but uh, there's going to be a number of options if you're looking for kind of a pass rushing linebacker uh, off the edge in round two that are going to be available. And, and even round three, some of those guys, Julian Aquara could be there in round three. Josh Uche could be there in round three. So um, if the Giants are looking for that linebacker and pass rusher, they're going to be able to find a good one at some point on day two. So I actually wanted to sort of back up, you know, free agency obviously comes before the draft and, and obviously the draft is, is your thing really. But I was curious, you know, you and I haven't really talked about about the work that the Giants did in free agency. Did you like what the Giants did in free agency? You know, Blake Martinez, Kyler Fackrell, James Bradbury, some smaller signings on offense. Did you like what they did there as far as, uh, you know, adding some talent and trying to set themselves up for the draft? Yeah, they did a really good job. I think uh, Bradbury certainly is the difference maker in that group. Uh, the linebackers, I don't know if I would have paid what I did for Blake Martinez. I think you could have found a player like that in this draft. Um, but but there's something to be said, too, for the, the, the veteran uh, presence that he'll bring to the table in, in terms of being help, being able to help uh, immediately. But um, my, my big, my, my big uh, criticism of their offseason free agency so far is that they didn't do enough to address the offensive line yet, but that's what they have the draft for. I think it's pretty clear that they're they're waiting for the draft to, to shore up that offensive line. I think that was their priority coming into the offseason and, and is still the concern, but, uh, but we still have the draft to go. So I think it's pretty clear based on the way they approached free agency what they plan to do in the draft. And, and you know, linebacker, it's just not a position that they've traditionally invested in. So it was nice to see them go out and make a couple moves there and try to upgrade that position. But, uh, but I, I think ultimately when you look back on this Giants offseason, positive or negative, depending on how this next season goes, I think we're going to look back to the draft more than free agency that impacted it because uh, it's, it's all about the offensive line. It really is. I think you're right there, Scott. You know, it's funny because Dave Gettleman was asked about that on Monday during a conference call about not addressing the the offensive line. And and he more or less, you know, Dave doesn't like to tell you exactly what he's going to do. No general manager does. But I've listened to enough Dave Gettleman, you know, press conferences and conference calls to know that if you get him to talk long enough, he's not exactly transparent. And he basically said in in talking about the offensive line, he said, look, he said, he said the draft and free agency, he said you can pretty much marry the two. And he said, we looked at the draft class and we thought not signing, you know, a big time free agent offensive tackle was the right way to go. So like like you and I said what what does that tell you you know it it tells it screams to me that they're going offensive tackle yeah 
And I think their first two picks could be offensive linemen and, and, and quite justifiably. Especially if, especially if, uh, if uh, Ruiz is there at 36, maybe. Or Matt Hennessy from Temple. Is Hennessy worth a pick at 36, or is he a guy you'd want to get farther down? Seems a little bit rich to me, but it's not too bad. I mean, he's legitimate. He's going to be a day two pick, and he's right in that mix to be the one of the top couple of centers off the board. My concern with him was seeing him up close down the senior bowl. He's really slight. I mean, he, he's not built like your traditional offensive lineman. He's not real bulked up. I mean, I, I don't want to say he's like a guy you would see on the street, but I mean, if you saw him walking down the street, you wouldn't say, oh, yeah, that's a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. And and that's fine. I mean, that doesn't necessarily rule him out, and the film's really good and everything. But, yeah, not, not the most impressive physical specimen I've ever seen along the offensive line, that's for sure, but uh, a really good player and – and it sounds like he's not going to get out of the second round. So if, if they want him, they'd have to probably take him in the second round. Interesting. Hey, last question for you, Scott. You know, Joe Judge was asked the other day during a conference call, he was asked about the fact that that there's really no off-season program or that, you know, whenever teams get together, they're probably going to have a training camp, you know, some sort of limited off-season. There won't be the snaps for these guys that, that there normally are, you know, in a regular NFL offseason. And the question for him was, does that mean that you have to draft a guy, you know, early in the draft who you might consider, you know, everybody uses the phrase pro-ready. And he said there's no such thing as a pro-ready NFL player. He said you draft based on long-term upside. And I like that, but... I guess the question for you, as you consider players that the Giants might draft, does a statement like that make, you know, would a statement like that make you think any differently, you know, about the guys that the Giants might target in the first couple rounds? Yeah, and and, and that's an idyllic way to look at it, but not necessarily always the case. It's just like when teams say, oh, you never hear teams say, yeah, we drafted for need. <laughs> they always say, oh, we drafted the best player available. He was the best talent on our board. But let's face it. I mean, need plays a huge, huge role in that. And and, and I think pro readiness is going to play a factor in this draft, uh, e- even if some might protest a little bit, especially in the early rounds. I think when you get in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, then you're, you're thinking long term. You're not thinking instant impact. But I think first, second, third round, you want a guy who's going to come in and contribute right away. And if you're deciding between a guy who you know can come in and do that and Another guy who might be a little bit further behind the eight ball and might need a little more time, I think it's going to give an advantage to the guy who's a little bit more ready this year, uh, certainly more so than, than any other years with these these uh, unique circumstances we have. So I think the guys who are bigger, a little bit bigger projects might be impacted, but, but we'll see. I mean, that's just one of the things, one of the reasons this draft is going to be fascinating to look back on, not only as we're watching it play out in real time, but really for years to come, see how much an aberration it is for do guys with medical concerns and uh, off the field concerns do they drop further than they would have? Do guys who are maybe projects does it that does that hurt them? Uh, you just go on and on. There's probably ten different factors that we can look at that could be different this year for most years. So um, it, it, the 2020 NFL the, the NFL draft is always fascinating, and that's this is why I always say I've I've, I've seen it all in the NFL draft because every time you think you have some unique set of uh, situation comes along and. 
and this certainly qualifies. But uh, but I definitely think uh, pro readiness is going to play a little bit more of a role, at least uh, especially early on, than than it normally would. And 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 if you're Dave Gettleman, I mean, you're you're not thinking about three years from now, right? <laughs> you might not have a job one year from now at this time. So you you want to you want to hit on this pick and hit the ground running. There you go. Hey, Scott, always appreciate your time, appreciate your insight. Why don't you uh, tell folks uh, a little bit about what you've got going on uh, before I let you go? Yeah, absolutely. The website is draftcountdown.com. Everything is 100% free. I have in-depth rankings uh, and an in-depth mock draft, both of which will be updated uh, the week of the draft with the final versions of both. So uh, check those out. I've got uh, recently did an interview with the uh, Minnesota defensive back Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, that is up on the site. It's kind of strange. I remember when I first was getting into the business, his dad Antoine Winfield Sr. was one of my first "quote unquote" prospect crushes. I was a huge fan of his coming out of college, and now here's his son who has a, a very similar type of game. So, uh, Scott, it, it that was means that, that, that means you're getting old, Scott. It it does. It was very surreal to be talking to his son because. Uh, I, I even went and I pulled out some of the old uh, Mel Kiper and Joe Buxbaum books from uh, from the 1999 NFL Draft to look up the scouting reports on his pop. So a very surreal moment. So check out that interview, and then you can also follow me on on uh, Twitter at Draft Countdown, Instagram at Draft Countdown, and one more thing too, I'll mention something fun this year. I'm going to put up my earliest mock draft of the year, the Monday after the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm going to put up my mock draft for the 2021 NFL Draft. And some big storylines to look forward to in, in next year's draft as well. It's just a little over a year away. It's never too early to look ahead in this business. So uh, was, it's a fun time of the year. Lots of fun stuff coming, not only for this draft, but next year's as well. I was going to say, draft season never really ends, does it? It really doesn't. And, and you know, that's another thing, too, where this is going to impact the NFL, the, the situation in the world. was Usually right now, everyone focuses on the pro days being canceled for this group of prospects, which is true, but... Also, this is the time of the year scouts are usually on the road gathering information on next year's prospects. Uh, Blesto and National Scouts are usually doing the pro days, getting verified heights and measurements and background information. They are going to be way behind on that as well. So th- this next 12 months with how the, the, the scouting process, the, the, the actual NFL and college seasons play out and next draft, pre-draft process, I mean, it's, it's, it's up in the air, the timeline for it. All right, Scott, thank you very, very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, bye-bye. All right, Ed. Hey, thanks. Giants fans, that's our show for today. Our thanks to Joe DeLeon for cutting up those clips of of Dave Gettleman, providing the, the transitions between topics that the general manager spoke about. Also, our thanks to Scott Wright, one of our favorite draft analysts, for uh, dropping some knowledge, for discussing uh, the various topics relating to the Giants as we lead up to the uh, to the 2020 NFL Draft. We remind you to please check out all of the draft coverage that we're providing at Big Blue View, mock drafts, analysis, prospect profiles, position previews, Anything and everything that you might need, you know, rumors, anything, uh, anything that that comes up that uh, that might impact the 2020 Giants NFL Draft. Please check out our our Giants Draft Hub page for all of the coverage we've provided over the past few months leading up to the draft. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Stay safe out there, Giants fans, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.